This is Peter. Hey, oh! Peter was a fisherman who was called by Jesus. Hey! Peter saw the many miracles of Jesus. Wow! And he heard all his teachings. Great crowds followed Jesus wherever he went. One day after Jesus had done a great miracle, he sent the disciples in a boat across the lake while he stayed and sent the people home. See ya! Hey, Jesus! After sending them home, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Ah! In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! Hold on there. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Hmm. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. So Jesus said, Yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat. Whoa, you're awesome. And walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, ah! he was terrified and began to sink. Peter, help me! Save me, Lord! He shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Jesus said, You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him and said, You really are the Son of God. Well, that was fun. I tell you, uh, I... I chose that clip, one, because it actually does a really nice job of telling the story that we read today in Matthew chapter 14. That is one of my favorite Bible stories. Uh, We're in our second week of our series called My Favorite Bible Story and Why. We're taking a deep look at some really popular Bible stories and maybe some Bible stories that perhaps you haven't heard before. We'll do that for a couple more weeks here. But it is fun to be able to dive into God's Word together um, and just see what God has in store for us as God just reveals God's self to us. It's pretty cool. I love it. And I like that we get to see it through fun illustrations like that. Um, I chose that clip, like I said, because it does a nice job of telling the story, but I think it's also a little ironic. It's a fun clip. It's got humor in it. It's kind of told in almost this like childlike, kid-friendly sort of way. And yet you get this sense of urgency in the video. Like, yes, it's cute. It's funny. But there's also this raging storm. And the disciples are terrified. Yes, it is a beautiful story about how Jesus comes up and he shows up for us, but there's also this mention of terror. Let's hop right into the story today. It says that the disciples were absolutely terrified. This amazing story, we learn about it in Sunday school, and filled with terror. What makes you afraid? What makes you more afraid than anything? What's one of the scariest moments of your life? For me, one of the scariest moments of my life took place on a roller coaster. I have a love-hate relationship with roller coasters, especially wooden roller coasters, because there's the thrill, there's that feeling of out of control, but that's also the part you don't like. There's that feeling of being out of control. And when you're on a wooden roller coaster, you feel like there's somebody throwing baseballs at your sternum from the inside. It's terrible, you know. 
And yet, you do it because you want to experience that. Oftentimes, I feel like I get scared and I'm most afraid and terrified when I'm out of control because the power that's in front of me is it's unmanageable. It's stronger than me. And I no longer have control over my own life. I was at a really old amusement park in northwestern Iowa, and there's this really old wooden roller coaster at that really old amusement park in northwestern Iowa. And at the top of the first hill, it says this, the point of no return. Now, interestingly, I think the point of no return is when the, uh, the attendant slams that lap bar down into your femurs, you know, when you're waiting for the ride to get started. Like, are you ready to go? Yeah! Oh, yeah. Not going anywhere. So you think. There's one time when I was riding this roller coaster and we're taking that ride up to the top, it's like, you know, it's never, ever pleasant. It just jerks your entire body all the way up. Why am I doing this? Then you see this sign, the point of no return. It's true, it's the point of no return. Your body's gonna be out of control. You start to go down the first hill, and as the roller coaster descends, your body kind of ascends for just a moment because it's trying to catch up with gravity. This one particular day, as the roller coaster is descending, my body is not catching up with gravity, and I'm, I'm confused. It was probably all in the matter of about two seconds, but it felt like two minutes. My body kept on lifting. And eventually I look down and I realize my seatbelt's not buckled. I know! Talk about like, this is like a Final Destination movie, if you know what I'm talking about. This is horrible. I looked down, I'm like, no, 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 no. And that lap bar is the only thing that I've got left. And so I'm trying to buckle it. It's not working. I'm looking at the people next to me. These are my friends. I'm like, see ya. It was nice. We continue to go down, and you don't know how powerful roller coasters are until you're holding on for dear life. When this roller coaster is no longer a thrill, but a survival training uh, experience. It was terrifying. The reason why I was so scared is because I encountered an unmanageable power that I was not prepared for. And the worst part is, this roller coaster is just a machine. It didn't have a heart that could care about me or my destiny. I'm just holding on for dear life and I was scared. What do you do when you're scared, when you're terrified, when you encounter some sort of power that's unmanageable and it makes you feel out of control? We all remember derecho, right? We ran inside as the stormy waters crashed up against the windows. Our, our staff watched uh, the derecho taking place from inside our windows at the link on Lincoln Way. And as it was taking place, somebody actually was finishing their run outside. And I think that they lived in the apartments, I hope they lived in the apartments over across the street. They went inside, but as they're going, there's, you know, I mean, like they're using all of their effort and they can hardly move. We just want to get inside. We just want to hide. When we encounter an unmanageable power that leaves us feeling out of control, we're scared. We, don't, we want to get away. We're not prepared for that. Okay, keep that in mind when we hop into our story here. Matthew chapter 14, it says that the disciples were terrified. They find themselves in a storm. And things are scary for them. They see Jesus walking toward them. And they're even more scared. What's going on? Why are they so terrified? They've got this friend Jesus, and he has a new trick. He's walking on water. It's amazing. But it's like they're seeing two unmanageable kinds of power just hitting them at the same time. And they're wondering, does this power have any care for me? Does it even consider my destiny? What do they do? 
They're terrified. In the ancient Jewish understanding of God, they would oftentimes put God in the same sentence with water, with the sea, because the sea was their unmanageable power. It was scary. It was terrifying. There are people who are afraid of waters today, but back then it was way more terrifying because it wasn't necessarily common to go do swimming lessons at age three, right? Or younger, as I see on YouTube videos, where they just toss the baby right in. You know, but back then they didn't have water goggles either. It's just this deep, massive space. Who knows what was underneath that? So they're scared. And oftentimes when they think of water, they think about this unmanageable power that had the potential to take their body's control from them. But then there was also an unmanageable power found in God. And this kind of power was different. They would reflect back on one of the other really famous stories in the Bible. It's called the Exodus, when God was rescuing his people from Pharaoh. God's people, they were called the Israelites. They're running away from Egypt where they've been enslaved for hundreds of years. And as they're running away, they run into the Red Sea and and they're trapped. But as the psalmist reflects, he commanded the Red Sea to dry up. He led Israel across the sea as if it were a desert. This story was so crucial to the ancient Jews that they would always talk about this in their imagery when they thought about God. To help them understand God's power, they would compare it to the other really big power that they knew about. Uncontrollable unmanageable, the sea, the waves. Sometimes life feels like waves. The psalmist talks about this in another chapter on the next slide where it says, save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. I can't find a foothold. I'm waiting for my God to help me. The psalmist never tells us, are they actually drowning? And maybe that's the point because they're probably not literally drowning, but sometimes life just feels like that, doesn't it? You start at ankle deep, You go a little bit deeper and suddenly you're wondering if you're going to be able to breathe for much longer. Save me. Someone help me. There's an unmanageable power that has the potential to take my body away and I'm not prepared for this. Is there a powerful force that can stand up against this kind of force that actually cares about me? And the ancient Jews understood, yes, yes there is. One more time in Psalm chapter 89, they said, Where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. Yes, there are unmanageable forces of power around me. And sometimes they make me feel like I am entirely out of control. But I have a God whose power cannot be matched. Okay, now keep that in mind as we hop back into the story in Matthew chapter 14. The disciples, they're in a sea called Galilee. Galilee is a famous place in the Bible, and there was a sea called Galilee. You can see it on the screen here. And Galilee was known for its storms, especially in the sea. You got the sea right here, and then these cliffs that are around it, it elevates up to 1,500 feet above sea level. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Then right up here, you've got a mountain up there that's 10,000 feet above sea level. So then you go down to the Sea of Galilee, and what you've got is basically a sitting duck just waiting for powerful, massive, uncontrollable storms. And that's where the disciples are. And so in Matthew chapter 14, we read it says that the disciples were in trouble, for a strong wind had risen. They were fighting heavy waves. Now, you know that this must have been some kind of storm, because the disciples, some of them were fishermen. Fishermen back then were the only people who would be willing to go out on the sea. 
Again, the sea was this terrifying place. No swimming lessons, no goggles, just this big, scary place. And if anybody could manage it, it would have been the fishermen. But even they were in trouble. They didn't know what to do. They're scared. And oftentimes when we're so scared and we're terrified, we can no longer focus on what we need to do. And so we, like Derecho, we go inside. We just kind of hide for a moment. We want to escape. We want to get off the ride. Please, anything but this takes you away from your task at hand. Uh, I, I talked about running last week, so I apologize I'm talking about it again this week, but uh, on Tuesday night, I was on, out on a run. I was out on one of the country roads here in Ames, and for two straight miles, I was getting attacked by birds. Attacked! You know those little blackbirds? They've got like the tips on their shoulders. They've got the, their nests in, in, in the ditches. I, I did not mean to cause them any disturbance whatsoever. None! None! But as I'm running, at first it's just one bird, and then there's two birds, and then there's three birds, and then there's four birds. By the time there's a dozen birds, they're swooping at my head, and their little talons are touching my hair, and I'm like freaking out. I'm like, ah! They're smart too. They get in the sun, so you can't see them. It's like all these distractions. I'm terrified, and I can't focus on the run. Before I know it, I'm exhausted. I actually know what it's like to be hunted by an animal. Strategically, they wear down your body. I'm running like this. I can't just do my task like at Ford, right? like going regular, normal, running straight. Instead, I have to, I'm running, I'm swooping my hands and I'm screaming, you want to go? Meanwhile, there's like a dozen cars driving right past me. <laughs> I'm almost getting hit by all of them. Like, who is this guy? Because they don't, they don't have to worry about the birds. They're in a car. It doesn't scare them. But for me, it's distracting, right? So oftentimes these big terrifying things, they also take away our focus. What brings our focus back? When the waves are crashing around us, what is the only thing that can sometimes bring our focus back? When we are out of strength on our own, when we are outnumbered, focus requires some sort of faithfulness. And Jesus is about to provide that for his disciples. God promised his people, I will be with you. I am faithful. I can move the seas. And I am entirely faithful. And so here Jesus says, he says, take courage. I am here. Take courage. It's shocking that when the disciples look out, they see Jesus walking on the water. But you might be surprised to learn that it's even more shocking that Jesus says, I am here. I think that biblical translators, they must have such a frustrating time with sentences like these because they can't translate it as it should be. Because if it was translated as it should be in English, it wouldn't make sense to us. Jesus doesn't say, I am here. He says, take courage, I am. It's ego a me, it says in the Greek. Just simply, take courage, I am. What does that mean? What's he saying? Remember God's Israelites, God's people who were running away from Egypt and God made a way for them? Rewind a little bit even farther back in the Bible in the book of Exodus. You've got this conversation between God and the most famous person in the Old Testament named Moses. And Moses is saying, who are you when he's having this conversation with God? And God simply says, I am. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am. I was not. I will not be. I am. The power of God 
to just be. And it's not just in a time sense. It's in a circumstance sense. When the waves hit Jesus, he is. When the waves have hit me in the past, I've sank. When I think about the waves of the future, I get scared. Jesus just says, I am. The verb in the Greek that it uses for walking, it actually literally means he's just walking around. There's a big troubling storm, unmanageable to human beings, and Jesus is just taking a stroll. It's like the birds are coming down at his head, and he's like, oh, that's nice. He's unbothered. He's uninfluenced. Because this is the God who can just say, I am. And when you see that kind of power, you want some of it, don't you? Like, wouldn't it be nice? Like, I know sometimes it just seems like a dream scenario, but wouldn't it be nice if you could have that kind of confidence, that kind of security, what gives you that kind of security? It's faithfulness. Yesterday I did a wedding for my oldest friend. Not like in age, the, the, the friend, he is 98 years old, no. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I met, I met him when I was one. I don't remember not knowing Joey Maygard. And I was doing his wedding yesterday and I just had all these memories flooding my mind. We were next door neighbors for the first ten and a half years of my life and we would always play backyard football and in our neighborhood we had kids who were as young as us and kids who were as old as like I think like six years older than us. We'd play backyard football and we played tackle football which was really not smart. Where are the parents? You know. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> you wonder how I ended up like I do. You know. And I remember I was playing wide receiver, thinking I was like some stud, right? And I think I was probably like six or seven years old. And one of the older kids was playing quarterback. And every single time I come back to that, I'm like, why are you not throwing me the ball? Why are you not doing this? Why are you not throwing me the ball? My friend Joey, same thing. Why aren't you throwing me the ball? And our quarterback, he's like, because you're not doing anything for me. I have like 18 linemen running my way. I'm running for my life. I'm too distracted. I can't do what I need to do. Later on in the game, his name was Alex, this older kid. He started playing our entire offensive line by himself. <laughs> and he gives us the ball and he says, you just follow me. I'll lead the way. There was that faithfulness. And yes, the linemen still existed, running our way, showing up everywhere, sometimes splashing onto us, knocking us. But as long as I saw Alex, I was good. Highlight of my athletic career, by far. <laughs> waltzed my way to the end zone on Pleasant Street. You ready for Jesus to call you in? Have you been coming back to the huddle and asking Jesus every day, why aren't you doing something for me? Why aren't you giving me the ball? The seas are uncontrollable, unmanageable. Jesus is unmanageable too. The difference is he loves you and he cares for you, but we got to follow him. It's way too often that we are saying, Jesus, I'm running over here, so I demand that you throw me the ball. Bless this thing that I'm doing. Bless this relationship. Bless this job. Bless this dream. Do it. I'm in command. Then we get so frustrated. We come back, why didn't you give me the ball? Why didn't you do this for me? Well, I want you to run this way. 
Oh, you mean into the storm? Yeah. Into the storm. Don't be surprised when you keep on coming back and saying to Jesus, give me the ball, give me a play. That he actually says, okay, let's do it. And then don't be surprised when he takes you into some pretty uncomfortable places. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, cries out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And you shouldn't be surprised, but Jesus says right back, yes, come. Peter gets out there and he's walking, he's doing it, right? It uses the same verb that Jesus had for when he was walking in the water. He's walking around, he's waltzing, he's focused, he has his eyes on Jesus, he sees his lead blocker despite the waves that are around him. There he is. There's Jesus. Sometimes we think that faith would be so easy if Jesus just showed up in physical form right in front of us right now. Well, Peter had that. But he was still vulnerable to distraction, to losing his focus. It tells us, but when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified. He's terrified again. And he begins to sink, starts to fall. Doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, doesn't matter how close you've gotten with him, you're going to fall. There will be days when you sink. And sometimes that really stinks, doesn't it? When I was in college, I was on the track team, and my coach, uh, one of the most influential men in my life, Coach Newsom, every single uh, meet, at the end of the meet, he would gather uh, the whole team, and he'd assign us to four-by-four teams as the last race. It's a relay. And I was a decathlete, uh, so my events, it was ten events combined into one, was over by the end. And so at the four-by-four, I, I, I never had anything to do with it, right? He's like, all right, you've done enough. Like, don't do this. In my mind, it was a badge of honor. What it really meant was, okay, you do the decathlon because you're not good enough at one event, so we'll just let you play around with all of them. And one time when I kept on bothering him, hey, come on, let me run the 4 by 4 Come on, let me run the 4 by 4 He looks at me and gives me that look. And he's like, you run an anchor. He said it just like that. You run an anchor. Okay. Had that confidence, right? Because I wasn't just like looking at my coach. I didn't just see his physical eyes. I also maybe kind of saw what his eyes saw. Like, have you ever had somebody who has power have confidence in you? That's a game changer, too. Because I know what his eyes have seen. His eyes have seen what it takes to be able to run the anchor for the four by four. And he's telling me, you can do it. And for me, I know I'm entirely unworthy of it. I'm not fast enough to do that. He says, no, 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 I've seen it, and I've seen you, and I'm calling you to do it. Come on, let's do this. Let's go. I believe in you. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt really bad. The baton comes around to me. I get it. I'm running my anchor leg. I'm leading. My team is leading with 100 meters to go, 75 meters to go, 50 meters to go, 20 meters to go, and some kid from Central whizzes right by me. With like three meters to go. Sorry, Central friends. Eh, God loves you. And I'm working on it. Um, yeah. 
You think Iowa-Iowa State is a rivalry? Just go to track in the American Rivers Conference. I tell you what, that's big time. We got like 30 people who show up to our meets, you know. But I remember feeling so disappointed. I remember not wanting to look any of my teammates in. I was humiliated. I was so embarrassed. I asked for this. I wanted this, and I failed. I was so disappointed in myself. I asked to be called in. I got called in. I had an expectation, and I couldn't live up to it. Peter fell. We fall. Now, it says in the beginning of the story, when the disciples were terrified, Jesus immediately calls out and he says, don't worry, it's me, I'm here, take courage. And here it also says, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Jesus is unmanageable in his power. But his love for you, it's out of control. He cares about you. His power is faithful to you. And he asks, why did you doubt me? What an interesting question. Not, hey, those waves were rough, weren't they? Now, Jesus is insinuating that Peter's problem was that he just stopped focusing on Jesus. Doubt is kind of a trigger word in the church, isn't it? Because if you're like me, you deal with it regularly. You start to feel ashamed about it sometimes. Not a good enough Christian. I, I, I doubted you, Jesus. You called me in. I tried to live up to it. I didn't. I fell. I'm sorry. And here's Jesus now looking me in the eye after the race. Why did you doubt me? Jesus doesn't talk to you like that. What's doubt? I mean, really, what is doubt? We'll take a look at what Jesus said. This uses the word distazo. Everybody say distazo. It's actually two words that are put together. There is dis and stasis, and dis is double, and stasis is a stance. It's double stance. Doubt is not, Jesus, I don't think that you're real. It's not, Jesus, I don't believe you could love me. It's not, Jesus, I think you're a waste of time. It's simply, no, Jesus, I know you love me. I know you care about me. But I also have my foot in another boat right now. Because I also know my humanity. I also know my limits. I also know what I'm capable of. And so I'm having a hard time here. I oh, man. And sometimes it's like your insecurities. Other times it's the battles that you're facing in life. It's like, yes, Jesus, I know that you're powerful. But you do not know my demons. way deeper than my track coach could have looked at me and seen what I was supposed to do and seen me for what he thought I was able to do. Jesus looks at you and he sees everything that he's called us to do. And he looks at you and says, no, I, I, I'm telling you, you can do it. I am telling you, you can. I am telling you, the distractions, the sea and the waves do not have to overwhelm you. Jesus at one point gives us a look and says, come on, let's go. But then at another point, he gives us a look and he says, just come in. Let me reach out to you. 
Jesus is the God who says, I am. He is not influenced by the waves. He will not sink in our problems. But when we do sink in our problems, and the truth is, sometimes we will. He immediately reaches out. Immediately. I was so ashamed after that race. I didn't want to look anybody in the eye. My coach, he was like, he's, he's just a really emotional, like high energy kind of guy. He finds me, Dan, Danny House, Danny House. He, he looks at me, he doesn't say anything, he just goes. He still would look at me. Jesus doesn't get distracted from you just because you're starting to fall. Oh, there's somebody else who can do it better. And he still chooses you. He still looks at you. Will you look at him? And so Jesus is the God who walks over water. He is the God who reaches into the water and saves someone from the water. And now they get back in the boat and his disciples say, you really are the Son of God. Because these young Jewish guys grew up with the stories about a God who could contain the seas, who could tell them what to do. And now for the first time in the book of Matthew, they look at Jesus and they say, you really are the Son of God. All of the stories we ever heard about the waters and the waves and the fear and the horror and the terror and the uncontrollable power. You're the one who tames it. You really are the Son of God. It's not just His power, it's the faithfulness of His power that creates our focus again. Sometimes people say, come on, focus on Jesus. Do you have things going on in your life? Focus on Jesus. And sometimes it sounds so dismissive, doesn't it? It almost sounds like you're trying to give your problems to somebody and say, ah, oh, just pray about it. But what you really heard was, I don't really have time for that. And the truth is, sometimes that's what people are saying. Because as Christians oftentimes try to do the right thing, there are some who aren't very nice. And they don't have manners, and they're pretty rude. But that's not what I mean today when I say focusing on Jesus. When I say focus on Jesus, I don't mean, oh, you know, focus on Jesus so you can just ignore your problems in life. Focus on Jesus so you see what Jesus is doing with the problems in your life. You want to talk about focusing on Jesus, step one? And I'm not much of a how-to guy necessarily in faith because sometimes I think it's more complicated than that, but bear with me as I go through some steps here. Step one, practice the presence of Jesus. There are waves around you, but in the waves, Jesus still shows up. He's not going anywhere. I remember driving home one time in this crazy storm. I was driving from Colorado to, to West Des Moines where my parents live, and it was terrifying. I didn't know what to do. I was so scared. There's so much snow coming down. I couldn't see the road. It was a massive storm. I called my dad. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't get home. I was like, should I pull over? He goes, I mean, if you can keep going, try to keep going. As I'm freaking out, there's like this semi-truck that pulls up in front of me. 
And while I couldn't necessarily see the road, I could see the lights of the semi-truck, and the semi-truck guided me home. It was like this like, God-sent figure that showed up and made a highway out of my storm. And so it is with Jesus. Are you practicing the presence of Jesus in your life? Not the God who comes in and says, oh, your problems are no big deal, but instead says, watch what I can do with them. Watch what I can do. Are you recovering from, from suffering injustice? Watch what Jesus can do, the God of justice. Watch what he can do when God's people come together and say, enough is enough. Are you hurting because there's something happening in your mind? Are you dealing with anxiety, depression, some sort of mental illness? God doesn't look at you and say, oh, just pray it away. He says, I'm even bigger than that, so you can pray to me about that, and I will show up for you. And if that's you today, I just want to tell you, we want to be a place where we believe that it is honorable to God to supply you with the resources to help you deal with those kinds of things. Practice the presence of Jesus in your life. See where he is. He is in the storm. He is making highways in the storm. It's not that the storm is gone. The waves are still very much there. But so is Jesus. Have constant conversation with him throughout the day. Sometimes, like when I pray... I don't say amen at the end because I'm like, I just kind of want to keep talking. Do you want to come with me to the store? Come on, I hear there's a sale going on in Fairway. Let's get some meat, God. You want to come? You know what the cool thing is? Yes, he does. Absolutely. You got some errands to run? He's interested. Practice the presence of Jesus in your life. Number two, remember that circumstances do not measure God's love for you. There will be waves. There will be storms. That does not measure his love for you. He measures his own love for you. He is not influenced by the waves. He is the God who says, I am. And it's not just to do with time, although that's really important. It is, I can walk on this water. And when you sink in it, because sometimes those days come, he will immediately reach his hand out. You want to measure his love? See the arms of the cross outstretched for you. Your circumstances can't measure God's love for you. And then finally, shout his name. Peter shouted, Lord, save me. When you're terrified, who do you cry to? Peter was right about this. He cried out to Jesus. He didn't cry for his own faith. Sometimes we think, well, I just need to create some more faith inside of me and then I'll be all right. Your faith doesn't save you. Did you know that? Jesus saves you. One of the greatest theological statements that's, uh, statements that's ever been written is you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not, if I could just muster up some more faith, then I'd be a better Christian. My life would be better. Whether your faith is super strong today or super weak, God's power is the same. Don't call upon yourself. Call upon the name of the Lord. Shout his name. Will you shout his name with me? Say it. Come on, Jesus. Say Jesus. 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 Say it again. Jesus. Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. They're Pentecostal Lutherans, I tell you. I love it. Shout his name because he's always there for you. It says this in the book of Isaiah. When you go through the deep waters, 
keep in mind when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, when you go through river, rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. They will be there. But so will Jesus. I, oh man, I'm seeing some of you right now. I know, I know some of you are going through it right now. I know some of you are walking through rivers. You're not alone. He hasn't stopped looking at you. He's so kind. I don't know what it's been about the last year of this pandemic, but I'm getting more emotional. I think it's because, at least in my memories, the last year has had more difficulty than like the last 20 combined. That's just me. Maybe it's not you. sorrow comes in waves and the grief comes in waves and the suffering comes in waves and the pain comes in waves and the injustice comes in waves the curses come in waves but your love oh Lord has flooded my heart because you're with me you're with us Because he is the God who is. You know what's the coolest part? See how this verse ends. Jesus doesn't give some sort of reason. God, through the prophet Isaiah, doesn't give some sort of reason saying, I'm with you, I'm going to be with you because you got my back. My faithfulness will come from your focus. No. Why is he with us? I'm with you because I'm God. I am with you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because I'm God, because I'm God, because I'm God, say it with me, because He's God, say it, because He's God. How many times do you set some sort of agenda for yourself every single day? If I do A, B, C, and D, then my day will be complete. Maybe you're looking at your life. If I just fill in the blanks, if I just check the boxes, then I'll finally be loved. Then I'll finally feel worthwhile. Then I can finally get out of this ocean of waves. Then I can finally feel complete, at peace, rest in a boat on still waters. It has nothing to do with you. But it is all for you. Because he is God. Practice the presence of Jesus in your life. Why is he present? Because he's God. Understand that your circumstances do not measure Jesus' love for you. How can it not measure Jesus' love for you? Because he's God. Shout his name. Because he's God. Shout his name with me. Say Jesus. 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 Say Jesus. Jesus. Jesus.